it's time to take the quiz. Five questions, five minutes a day, five days a week. Take the quiz every weekday at thequiz.fox and then listen to the quiz podcast to find out how you did. Play, share, and of course, listen to the quiz at thequiz.fox. From the Fox News Radio Studios in New York City, fresh off the set of Fox and Friends, it's America's receptive voice, Brian Kilmeade. Thanks so much for being here, everybody. This is Brian Kilmeade Show. Uh, thanks for being here all week long. We, as we close out this week, Senator Rick Scott is in 15 minutes. Bottom of the hour, one of the best, most experienced military minds in our country, Admiral James Javidis, former Supreme Allied Commander of NATO, on this big move now to ramp up, finally, uh, the, the types of equipment we're getting into the Ukrainians. The Europeans are not doing it. They're all talk. We, uh, according to yesterday's guests, only got 40% in there that we promised. But here's with the good news. We're about to give them F-15s and F-16s, and here's better news. We've already trained up the pilots. We've gotten some money. They've been trained on our stuff. If we can get some warthogs in there, as maybe is executed already, F-15s, F-16s, it is going to be a game changer. Look for the Ukrainians to get back on the offensive. But let's now get to the big three. Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Number three. Don't let it dominate. Don't let it take over your lives. Don't let that happen. Hey, folks, guess you heard this morning I tested positive for COVID. But I've been double vaccinated, double boosted. Symptoms are mild. President Biden tests positive for COVID. We wish him the best. But why was Trump treated so much worse? We will compare and contrast and see how this new variant might be affecting our lives again. Number two. Hey, everybody. So gas prices have been declining across the country. So... Let's get into some graphs. This is so exciting, guys. I'm in the graph. She, this is nuts. That's the press secretary with a harp behind her uh, talking about she's being a graph like she's on Sesame Street. What matters most? That was Karine Jean-Pierre. What matters most? The economy, your economy. Gas comes down. Thank you, Vladimir Putin. The administration takes a bow. They shouldn't. Suddenly jobless claims are up. Is a recession next? Number one. The city should be commended that we're not Texas, that we're New York. Our country is home of the free, land of the brave. We do not be cow- become cowards and send people away to look- looking for help. What? New York City blames Arizona and Texas, but don't blame them, mayor of New York City. Blame Biden. New York is overrun with about 3,000 illegals over the last three months because of President Biden. He will not enforce the border. How soon until Dems realize the border isn't a GOP talking point, but instead an American breaking point? And that's just it. So I just got to clarify one thing. What Mayor Adams, you're about to hear the whole clip, is saying, and I guess this is a new Democratic strategy. Governor Abbott is so fed up. He said, I'm going to take all these individual illegal immigrants and I'm going to give them an option of getting on an air-conditioned bus. We're going to put them right in Washington, D.C. So this administration, this White House could understand what it's like being on a border city that's ill-equipped without the infrastructure to handle about 4 million, roughly 4 million illegal immigrants, 800,000 gotaways since he took office. He says, I'm dropping in Washington, D.C. But every major city is overrun with them, big and small. And then you see... 
the mayor of D.C. say, yeah, I got all these illegals here. Well, there's about a few thousand, 65 busloads, not all full, from Texas, point make. Now Mayor Adams comes out and says, you're dumping it on my city. Cut one. The city should be commended that we're not Texas, that we're New York. Our country is home of the free, land of the brave. We do not be co- become cowards and send people away that are looking, looking for help. All of us came from somewhere, even from Texas. They came from somewhere. And so they should not have sent people away that were seeking refuge. Uh, there's so much wrong with these statements. And he, he can't be this intentionally misinforming. He has to be either be ignorant on purpose or it's manipulative and political. Because the fact is, you can come to this country, there's a way to get here. Because of climate change or because you don't like your country is not good enough. We can't take everybody in that wants to be here. Now, Fox News alert, nor can any other country take anyone who wants to be there. Nobody in this world has let down their border like America has let down their border. The most prosperous nation in the world with the best military is being overrun by a minimum of four million illegals, not only coming here on our social uh, social system, but also a lot of them selling drugs. A lot of them are criminals. Many of what we don't want here, hate our country, don't want to be part of our country. But Mayor Eric Adams, we are not turning our back on these people. We are saying there's a way to come, go to your consulate, apply, and you can come here. Why the Hispanic vote is going to Republicans is because the Hispanics don't look at Venezuelans, Bolivians, El Salvadorians, Guatemalans, and say, because you're from there, I really respect the way you're sneaking into this country. They want to be Americans. They paid the money. They got the green card. They took the test. They became citizens. And they resent the fact that all of them are beating the system to get here. And Eric Adams now says, wait a second, my shelters are filled up with illegals. My classrooms are filled, with, uh, filled up with kids that don't speak English. And I blame Texas. Are you crazy? Cut to. This is a real burden on New Yorkers as we're trying to do the right thing. Uh, we already, as I stated, we already have an overburdened shelter system. So now we're talking about, as you stated, food, clothing, school. This is going to impact our uh, our schools because we do not turn away individuals because they're undocumented. Uh, translation services. There's just a whole host of things that this is going to produce, and that's why we need we need help and getting this done, and we need the right coordination to make it happen. Right, and, and you're blaming Arizona and Texas, uh, both moving are, are moving migrants to the nation's capital as part of an effort to bring the consequences of an open border policy to the people who put in place an open border policy. Simple as that. In a statement in response to Mayor Adams' uh, erroneous statement, Governor Ducey of Arizona said Adams needs to get the facts straight and pay close attention to what's really occurring because our nation's security depends on it. The state of Arizona is providing voluntary transportation for asylum seekers only to Washington, D.C., not New York. President Biden created the crisis at the border. He failed to respond to calls for action, refuses to even visit the border. So we're bringing the issue closer to his home, not your home. Same thing in Texas. Big difference. So listen to how ill we're being served by this administration's appointees. For example, the TSA administrator nominee, this guy David Percose, who actually got confirmed, 
He's being grilled by Senator Josh Hawley. Why? Because these illegals are able to use arrest warrants to get on planes, and they don't even care if they belong here or not. Have you ever tried to get on a plane without any ID? It's almost impossible for you and I, but not if you're illegal. Cut three. How many of the individuals have presented TSA with arrest warrants or deportation notices and were permitted to travel in this calendar year? Uh, under 1,000, sir. So we aren't looking at whether a person is legal or illegal in the country. Our, our function is to make sure that... Why not? Because our role is to make sure that uh, people that might pose a risk to transportation um, that's significant enough to either require enhanced screening or to not allow them to fly, um, that the proper... So your position is someone who is known to have violated the laws of the United States does, does not thereby need enhanced screening? You're not concerned about this person as a security threat? Uh, sir, there are people every day that violate the laws of the United States that fly. Uh, we look for things that are related to transportation security. Yeah, uh, they're flying to, they're here illegally. They've already violated the law. Ways to stop it is they turn up at different places where they need ID, whether it's uh, whether it's a place like TSA or go to go to get a license. That's the way to identify them. They're not, they're not doing that. And he's proud. He doesn't understand why Josh Hawley's even answering. Senator Hawley joined Tucker last night. Cut four. It is utter and total contempt that this administration is showing for the law-abiding citizens of the United States. What they're telling us is, wait in the longest lines ever, be treated to all kinds of random inspections and invasive procedures, and have your stuff confiscated. But if you're an illegal alien and you have committed a crime, oh, and you have an arrest warrant, come right to the front of the line and get right on the plane. And as, as you said, the TSA administrator told me today that maybe a 1,000 such illegal aliens just this calendar year alone have been able to use their arrest warrants to get on planes. It is unbelievable. It is unbelievable, but it's reality. I don't want to take too much time away from Rick Scott. I do want to jump into the economy, how uh, the ridiculous background music to the press secretary hopping on with a graph behind her, uh, being just astounded that there's a graph behind her, telling us that gas prices went down. If anyone talked to her that knew anything about the economy at the White House, and I doubt there is, they should say we probably shouldn't be taking a bow now because per barrel it's up to $108. So we're going to be getting the ripple effects from that in a few weeks down the line. So you probably don't want to look around and say, look how low I got gas prices. Because we also remember who you gave credit for when gas prices went up, Vladimir Putin. So who do you give credit for now when prices go down? Logic would tell you, Vladimir Putin. So thanks, Vladimir. I'm only paying $4.60 a gallon. Oh, by the way, I was paying two twenty-five two years ago. But I don't want to get caught up in details. When we come back, Rick Scott, Admiral James Stavridis at the bottom of the hour. Then, and with 15 minutes left in this hour, we'll be taking your calls, 1-866-408-7669. Diving deep into today's top stories, it's Brian Kilmeade. From the Fox News Podcasts Network. I'm Janice Dean, Fox News Senior Meteorologist. Be sure to subscribe to the Janice Dean Podcast at foxnewspodcast.com or wherever you listen to your podcasts. And don't forget to spread the sunshine. Out of the gates and ready to go. Hey, it's Hutton Withrow. Hot Mike is here on the Outkick Network. We've got your afternoon covered with the latest sports discussion, and it's available wherever you find your audio. Daily analysis and news. He is hot. I am Mike. Actually, my (laughs) name is Chad. His name is Jonathan. But you get the picture. We're going to bring it every single day. Whatever you want to call us, we'll respond to. We just want you to respond to what we're dishing out every day. And while you're here, we hope you'll subscribe to the podcast, like, subscribe, and share. A 
talk show that's real. This is the Brian Kilmeade Show. Where exactly was the person infected? Where was he infected? I, I don't think we know. Um, I certainly don't know if you, if you have any thoughts I, on I, it. Look, I, I don't think that that matters, right? I think what matters is we prepared for this moment. You don't think that matters? Are you insane? That is the press secretary yesterday on a question to the health advisor about the President Biden's condition because he tested positive. When asked where he think he got it, I don't think that matters. My real focus is on look at all the systems we have in place and the therapy, therapeutics that we have in place to help it. No, no, it did matter because for the last three years you've been telling us contact tracing is everything. You've hired thousands of people around the country to once someone tests positive to go contact them and more kids in classrooms and say, you've been contact traced, stay home from school. You've been contact traced, stay in the hotel. You've been contact traced, you can't get on the plane. And now the president gets this, a chance to show everyone the way you should be handling the latest variant and the mild symptoms that followed it. And you come out and say, well, it doesn't matter where he got it from. You have just wasted two and a half years of our time, specifically with the medical advice of the same team basically is in place led by Anthony Fauci. You basically told us we wasted all our time and thousands of taxpayer dollars uh, having contact tracers call you up and you get that phone call. You get that email that says someone's been in your vicinity who tested positive. But it's OK for the press secretary to just yell it out. It doesn't matter where you got it from. Listen to the, the difference between the way President Trump was handled. He was vilified. He's no responsibility. He's reckless. He doesn't take this serious. As he goes to the hospital, uh, other networks are almost cheering for his illness to be long-lasting. Molly Hemingway noticed the way in which President Biden was treated by the press and President Trump cut 14. The media were in a state of hysteria before he got COVID. When he got it, I don't know if I've ever seen anything quite like it. The anger at the White House doctors, the anger at the treatment that he was getting, the anger at every little thing about how he was handling things. And as you noted, you know, now they're saying it doesn't matter where he got it. We saw this pattern repeatedly with corporate media where they would blame Republicans when they got COVID and then they would blame Republicans when Democrats got COVID. Yeah, it's nuts. Senator Rick Scott joins us now. Senator, you, I know you wish President Biden well. That goes without saying. But have you noticed the difference in the way tr- President Trump was treated by the press and the way that President Biden's treated by the press? Yeah, it's ridiculous. They, they, you know, they almost hoped that Trump would get worse. Um, uh, and I, I don't know anybody that said that said anything other than the you know the hope Joe and doesn't have any long term effects. But yeah, I mean this is, I mean this is. When, when Justice Kavanaugh's, you know, gets, uh, you know, gets harassed, the Democrats, not one Democrat that I know of, not one Democrat said that's not right. Not one. I want you to hear. I want you to hear. I want you to hear what some of the Democrats were saying when President Trump tested positive. Cut 12. Our president being sick. It's a huge galvanizing point for this country. In large part, uh, it's his own dereliction is um, partly to blame for this. I look at this as a drunk driver who injured himself in a wreck and killed the oncoming sober driver. Uh, Donald Trump has injured himself. The treatment he's getting at taxpayer expense is privileged treatment. Mm -hmm. It angered me. He didn't take the necessary precautions to protect himself or others. That's a, that's a little bit of a, a flashback. Remember those days? Oh, yeah. yeah. But has anybody su- suggested that Joe Biden shouldn't get the best care possible? Of course not. 
So, I mean, we we want the president to, and we want everybody to. Uh, but the, I mean, the, the Democrats are so mean spirited. All the you know, everything is just a messaging, uh, and it's anti people like Trump. I mean, but but just look at the Kavanaugh stuff. I mean, look at the violent, the proposed violence against Kavanaugh, and everybody's okay with that. The Democrats are just they they it makes you mad. Couple of things. Uh, the Kavanaugh's neighbors are being harassed now, being called Karens and other things because oh, they live next to him in a neighborhood. And there's going to be less and less people doing what you did, Senator, when you were governor too, and that serves. Because you get so much abuse, and now your family gets abused. That's where it's the bridge too far. When friends and family, and now neighbors you may or may not own, own uh, even know, you, they can't go back. They can't get to their driveways because your neighbors are Supreme Court justice. Used to be an honor. Uh, now it's a detriment. What are you guys are doing in the Senate is kind of interesting. I, I'm all for bringing uh, computer chips home. I'm for that. I think you are for the bring manufacturing home. It's for our national security. But you're not happy with this chip bill. Tell me why. Well, first off, no wonder the debt's surging to over $30 trillion. Inflation's over 9% because Washington's it's broken. They just want to spend money. Uh, this is a massive giveaway to chip makers. Let me give you an example of how it's going to work. Intel Corporation, which made $20 billion last year. I'm a business guy. I'm glad people make money. They create jobs. They expand, do all that stuff. They made $20 billion last year. But here's what we're going to do. We're going to say, here's maybe $4 billion for you, Intel. Uh, so hopefully you'll build something in the United States. We're not going to tell you exactly what to build, where to build, and we're not going to tell you to build the chips we need. But you get to, we're going to give you $4 billion. Then we're going to give you a tax break for building it. Then we're going to give you a tax credit for building. And by the way, what do they have to do? Do they have to stop doing business in China, stop expanding? No. And by the way, when China invades Taiwan, do they have to stop doing business in China? No, and Intel testified in Commerce Committee when I asked them a question, saying, when China invades Taiwan, are you going to do anything? No, we're not going to stop doing business there. We're going to keep doing it. This is a pro-China bill. I mean, we're giving a company like Intel, who's a big operation in China, money for doing nothing. And what do we get? The taxpayers get nothing. I, when I was governor of Florida, I did probably over 1,000 economic development deals. I made money on all the deals. If I didn't, I got my money back. Is there anything like that in the bill? No. So, it, I mean, there's no accountability here. It, may, it just makes you mad. $250 billion, it went from no bill to $52 billion to $250 billion in like 24 hours, right? And, and everybody's, it's like, you know, it's. Was it, it lobbyists? It why, why, why is this even to Democrats' advantage? Why would they want to do this? It's it's just a giveaway. I guess I guess these chip makers have a whole bunch of good lobbyists because it's just a pure giveaway. That sounds good. It sounds good. Like, well, we want chips. Absolutely, we're anti-China. Absolutely, this doesn't do it. If you were anti-China, say, at federal government within five years, we're not going to buy any products that have any chips made in China. That would do it. That would actually have some accountability. Or we said, oh, you're, if you take this money, no more business in China. That would do it. That, uh, oh, none of these things are in here. Senator Rick Scott, thanks so much. Appreciate it. Busy guy. Homeland Security, Armed Services, uh, Chairman of the National Republican Senatorial Committee. When we come back, we go inside the war in Ukraine. Admiral James Stravitas on the news. We might be giving fighter jets now to Ukraine. Finally. A radio show like no other. It's Brian Kilmeade. There's no doubt they're going to get them. Uh, it's a question of what, what airplanes. Uh, likely used F-15s, 16s, uh, A-10s possibly. Also, the Europeans are looking up uh, 
given up uh, their ra Raphaels that are made by France, Typhoon, which is a Euro fighter jet, Gripen, which is a Sweden jet. So, I mean, there's a, been a major turn here because of what the Ukrainians are asking for. Yeah, uh, unbelievable. General Jack King with me last hour. There's a report today, not denied, that the Air Force uh, is uh, considering providing A-10 Warthogs that were going to be warehoused uh, and used F-15s and F-16s uh, to uh, Vladimir Zelensky's Air Force in Ukraine. And they had pilots over here who were already trained on these uh, Western fighter jets. Admiral James Chavitas joins us now, 16th Supreme Allied Commander, knows the area well and what's at risk. Admiral? What brought us to this point, and are you a believer that we're going to actually get these to the Ukrainians? 100% a believer, right thing to do. Uh, you and I talked about this idea of getting fighters in the hands of the Ukrainians four months ago, Brian. At the time, we were talking about Polish MiG-29s. Um, I wish we had done that. It might have made a difference earlier. Um, but um, the idea of jumping over the old Soviet inventory and going right to NATO aircraft makes a lot of sense. And by the way, A-10, the Warthog, those things are killing machines down low to the ground. And Brian, so simple to fly. I could train you to fly an A-10 in about a month. Wow. Uh, that, that, and by the way, we're not using them anymore, right? What, how do they function in the battlefield? <clears throat> Um, these are uh, close air support, meaning they fly very low. They have extremely destructive, uh, high-caliber cannons up in front. They can also drop uh, small bombs. Um, they are what you call in when you're in close combat with the opponent, and therefore perfect for this kind of grinding war we're seeing. And again, very simple to operate, to refuel, very battle-hardened. Um, and, and yes, we were sending them off to the boneyard. We've got other options that are more advanced, but um, A-10 would make a lot of sense. And this, the other one that General Jack mentioned, the uh, F-16, that's, again, fairly simple to operate, not as not quite as uh, turnkey as an A-10, but that has much more capability. And importantly, Brian, that uh, F-16 brings you an air-to-air -air capability. You can shoot down Russian fighters with that. So that would be a killer package, A-10s and F-16s, but so, literally and using the, you know, the street vernacular, hey, that's killer. I, I'd, I'd get those two jets in the hands now. I, of course, but what, what makes you think they're going to do that? Because we remember the battle. I mean, there's, there's always an internal struggle with things like this. And if they do, if they do, do it, what changed that, that had us change our, our from a 1980s jet to uh, a, a change a turn of century jet. Yeah, the the two things have changed, which I think are driving this forward. One is um, the Russians have improved um, in their fighting capability, not because they're doing anything a lot smarter, but simply because they've compacted themselves into this uh, zone in the east and the south. So they're um, lining up and massing forces, Brian. That is an A-10 target, massed forces. And then um, on the other side of the coin, you're seeing the Russians use these long-range missiles, long-range fires. Um, that's where the F-16 comes in. They can take out the uh, Russian air cover. So uh, the, the change is on the battlefield. 
And I think it's it's time to make the leap if we are going to continue to support the Ukrainians. And, and we must. And I believe we will. Hi, Mars, too. I mean, we put a handful <laughs> in uh, reports from the battlefield. Unbelievably successful. How many more yes. are we prepared to put in? <laughs> we ought to be putting in dozens. Right now, we're talking about 10 to 12. This is another area where we need to up our game. They make huge difference. And um, what they do, Brian, as you know, is they can reach 50 miles behind Russian lines and go after the logistics. So um, highly, highly capable. Uh, One thing I'm not hearing discussed that I would like to hear more is um, surface to uh, surface missiles to go at sea against the Black Sea fleet. Um, Start knocking down more of those ships at sea. Uh, We have missiles. NATO has missiles that can do that. Um, I think that's the next big move you'll see. I hope so. And what we'll see. Well, why aren't we? Well, first (laughs) off, I want you to hear what uh, Jack Keen has said about what we can expect in the next few weeks. Cut 24. What's really taking place here is Ukrainians are preparing for a counteroffensive. They know full well the Russians have expended themselves quite considerably taking the eastern part of the Donbass region. The casualties have been staggering. They've lost hundreds and hundreds of armored equipment in that process. They're conducting very limited attacks right now. You can better describe them as being stalled on the part of the Russians. This offensive that's being prepared by the Ukrainians, they've been working on it for a number of weeks. It likely takes a more preparation phase and certainly advanced weaponry and increased fighter capability will be a factor in that. So are, are you getting the same reports, a major offensive? Absolutely. And I'll, I'll put a target on it. It's going to be in and around the area of Kyrgyzstan, which is, if you will, the gateway to Crimea. First major city to fall. Correct. And in high symbolic value, this would be like the the Texans roaring back and taking the Alamo back. And it, it, it just would be symbolically important, geographically important. The gateway to Crimea controls the water sources to Crimea. This would put real pressure on Putin. He would then have to swing forces to the south to counter that. Um, that would take pressure off in the Donbass. You know, it's a chess game on a battlefield like this. And uh, Jack Keene and I both agree the next move is going to be the Ukrainians, and it's going to be offensive, and it's going to be in the south. Why do we? Why are we willing to take these risks? And before we were so worried about uh, going too far and provoking the Russians to expanding the war, what changed in our perception? Um, the success of the Ukrainians, I think, was number one, and uh, really Zelensky and his inspirational messages around the world. Number two was the obvious incompetence of the Russians. Um, in other words, we began to feel as though, um, you know, we're not concerned about Russia attacking NATO. They can barely handle the Ukrainians, for God's sake. So I think those two factors, Brian, have reduced the the level of timidity on the part of the West, and we are now correctly uh, putting much more lethal, capable arms in the hands of the Ukrainians. So let me tell you what Dave Ignatius wrote today, and I think you uh, respect his context with the military. Uh, He says, the Chinese are really unsettled by the war in Ukraine. CIA Director William Burns told him 
speaking a few hours before this big Aspen conference, the war has drawn the United States and European allies closer together, confounding Beijing's hope of dividing the transatlantic alliance. He also noted that China has been careful not to violate U.S. sanctions against Russia. Even flagship companies such as telecommunications giant Huawei have reduced their business with Moscow for fear of new penalties from Europe and the United States, and she was surprised the Biden administration, which the Chinese expected to be weak and ineffective abroad, has been able to rally global support for the Ukraine. How much is that hope, uh, maybe CIA spin, and how much is that reality con- compared to your sources, Admiral? Everything I'm hearing tracks, and I concur with David Ignatius. This is a well-written, well-sourced column, as always, from him. And look, Brian, common sense. Put yourself in President Xi's footsteps right now. Um, Number one, uh, Vladimir Putin told him in the run-up to the Olympics, um, hey, this will take me three to five days to conquer this country. Well, we're headed into month six. Um, Number two, she is asking himself, are my generals as bad as those Russian generals appear to be? Don't forget, they were all trained in the old Soviet model. They all went to the same war colleges. They've operated together. He's losing confidence watching the Russian failures. Number three, he's asking himself, and this is David's point, hmm, Boy, I wonder if the West would hang together to sanction me. And, yeah, I'm too big to sanction, but could they sanction sectors? Huawei, perfect example. Fourth and finally, Brian, he's asking himself, I wonder if those Taiwanese would fight the way the Ukrainians are. And the answer is yes. I've been to Taiwan. I've met the president there, Madam Tsai. She's uh, the Zelensky of Asia. Um, they will fight. All those things, I think, are going to have a, a dampening effect on Chinese enthusiasm for uh, jumping up and attacking right. Taiwan or really countering the West. I but, think I think this is a good thing that is coming out of this. But here's what they do like. They love that we're distracted in Europe, just like they love to yes. be distracted in the Middle East. And the longer they can keep <laughs> us looking there, the more that they can continue to enforce their ways in the South China Sea. Absolutely right. And that's why we have got to continue to keep, uh, we would say in the Navy, a weather eye on Asia. And it's the South China Sea. It's the Taiwan Strait. Um, This is where we need the Navy to be operating and pushing forward, even as the events in Europe uh, tend to take up resources. And this gets us back, Brian, you know, you're going to hear this from the admiral, but um, the size of the Navy, it's too small to do these kind of tasks. We have less than 300 ships. China has 350. Um, we have got to increase our military capability, notably our maritime capability in that South China Sea. Um, lastly, on this conflict, Lavrov came out and said yesterday, their foreign secretary, <clears throat> Not a, it would be foolish for us to have peace talks. We've expanded our ambition beyond the East now. So I know he's a, I, I know he's a, a very sl- slick-tongued, but he does feel as though they've gained territory and they're looking to gain more, especially because it's so rich in natural resources and a lot of it is port cities. Indeed. And I would say if they have one major geographic objective, Brian, it would be to swing 
to the west and to the south and get to Odessa, to the port city of Odessa. Odessa is the Los Angeles Long Beach, if you will, of Ukraine. It's the economic beating heart of their export economy. So, yeah, the Russians still have ambitions. This is why we need to, where we started the conversation, put the right tools in the hands of the Ukrainians. They're going to continue, they, the Russians, are going to continue to do what they can. But their, their goal of conquering the entire country, taking over this vast Texas-sized land, not going to happen. We need to help the Ukrainians. The best thing we can do is give them tools to go on the offensive. Um, that will continue to push back on the Kremlin and the lies from Putin and Lavrov and his team. Uh, Admiral, thanks so much. Uh, have a great weekend. You too, my friend. Bye-bye. All right. All right. Pick up his book, uh, Risk It All, Nine Conflicts in the Crucible of Decisions. He also has other book, The Sailor's Bookshelf, 50 Books to Know the Sea, and 2034, a novel of the next world war. He talks about how Taiwan could be taken over uh, specifically, uh, and it's, it's a legitimate plan, and that's why it was a bestseller. This is The Brian Kilmeade Show, one 408 Learning something new every day on The Brian Kilmeade Show. The more you listen, the more you'll know. It's Brian Kilmeade. Throughout the attack, Mr. Meadows received texts from Republican members of Congress, from current and former Trump administration officials, from media personalities, and from friends. Like President Trump's staff, they knew President Trump had to speak publicly to get the mob to stop. Let's look at just a few of these text messages. Fox News personality Laura Ingram said... The president needs to tell the people in the Capitol to go home. Former chief of staff Mick Mulvaney urged Mark, he needs to stop this now. Fox News personality Brian Kilmeade said, please get him on TV, destroying everything that you guys have accomplished. I really have no regrets about the text message, right? And, and last night I was meeting about our live show with Pat and Rick. Your friends and from high school. Friends from high school who also were doing the live show. Like, we have four stage shows together. It's going to be, we're going to be in Newark, New Jersey on the 27th. And Albany. going to be on September 8th in Albany, New York. And then we're going to be in Brandon, uh, Mississippi, as well as Tulsa, Oklahoma. And we're just talking about different things we could do. And I walked in and I go, oh, the January 6th here. I'm not going to be talking that much about it. I know, I'm already very familiar with the pluses and minuses of that day. And it's almost all minuses. And as I walk in, I see Adam Kinzinger. He used to come on our show all the time. Until he turned. Yeah, until I think he turned anti, well, who knows. Uh, but he's, he read that out loud. But the thing is, it's, they did destroy it. I mean, right now, Donald Trump, probably 65% approval rating. I don't think people would be talking about Rick De, uh, Ron DeSantis running for president if president did not have January 6th. I, I don't think Mike Pompeo and Nikki Haley would even be considering it. And Senator Cotton would be considerate. Maybe Governor Yunkin would still be considering because he's not in the Trump orbit. Yeah, I think that's I mean, I think that's pretty accurate. I think what the text also demonstrates, though, is that you are the same person on the air and off the air. It's what what, you'd say on the air. Well, what you'd say on the air is what you'd say is what you were texting Meadows. Like, like, what are you doing? Like, get him to do something about this. Get it to stop. You're ruining everything. That's exactly what you said on the air, too. Right. And, and we were watching this on the air, watching the breaks, putting the sound up, trying to get a hold of it. They played a lot of Brett Baer's commentary and news. But what they're doing is they are they are doing a documentary and, and they are doing a documentary from their point of view. Like you're watching the Derek Jeter documentary there in part one 
And just like the Michael Jordan documentary, it was Michael Jordan's point of view, and he okayed all, everything. And didn't they didn't kiss his ass, but for the most part, it's what Michael Jordan wants on it. This Not saying it's not true, that people aren't really making comments, but anyone that wanted to come out and say Michael Jordan was overrated or give people a hard time or um, was did this X, Y, and Z gambling in Atlantic City and flying out before... If all the negative stuff, to a degree, was just would edit it out. So what they're saying is legitimate people. They were in and out of the Trump administration, and people are just critics. I understand it. But the people that stood up and said, no, that wasn't the ad. If, was there anybody that stood up and said, yeah, I talked to the president. He was not happy about anything going on. I talked to the president, and he went ahead, and there was no panic with him. He went ahead and cut this video, and he redid it because he, we saw all the edits and the, and the bad takes. He did it because he wanted to make sure he said the right thing. So we have no counter to this. And as Kevin McCarthy explained to me when I said that, I think they made a mistake. He said, I am not convinced. When they turned down banks and they told me Jim Jordan couldn't do it, he said, I am not convinced that they would have let my people, whoever I picked, go on there, number one. Number two, even question the witnesses. So I can't put them there because then they would have been serving the purpose of, look, Republicans are participating. And either I wanted to be all in with my people or don't even get my fingerprints on it. So, okay, that was your point of view. They also played Kevin McCarthy and they see how angry Kevin McCarthy was at the president. And you hear him, you hear Kevin McCarthy's voice. You also know how mad Senator Graham was. But they both have since met with the president. They feel as though they understood where both stood. And they feel as though that was then, this is now. And I think it's an effective argument. I'm outraged about the Capitol, but I'm also outraged what happened in Minneapolis. Outrage what's happened today with, uh, with that, uh, with that uh, freedom zone in Seattle, with the, the riots that took place in Portland that destroyed New York City. All that stuff. You can't be outraged on one and not the other. And that's where the Democrats, I think, fall on their face here. And they're going to string it right up until November because it's their major play to try to limit the carnage come Election Day, November 8th. Brian Kilmeade, Brian Kilmeade Show. Live from the Fox News Radio Studios in New York City, fresh off the set of Fox and Friends, it's America's receptive voice, Brian Kilmeade. Thanks so much for being here, everybody. It's the Brian Kilmeade Show. Coming to you from Midtown Manhattan, heard around the country, heard around the world. We're at 48th and 6th, and uh, we have a lot to discuss today. I'm going to be joined by Lee Zeldin. He was attacked yesterday afternoon in upstate New York uh, by an Iraqi war veteran with this odd-looking device, bottom-lined, two-pointed, knife-like devices. You put your hand through it like brass knuckles. It could have definitely tore open a hole in you. Uh, He got onto the stage. Thankfully, there's a bunch of war vets who knew how to act in crisis. The security ended up being a little bit late, but there. He ends up okay, but brought to the ground. He's still campaigning. He's going to bring us inside that story shortly, and we're probably alert foxnews.com because I do not think he has spoken to anyone yet about this, so that'll be great. Uh, And then we're going to be joined by Eric Jolly. Uh, Eric's interesting in that uh, I just got the wrong page up here. Eric Jolly, I should say. Eric, you probably don't know, but you know his work. He's uh, one of the best cartoonists in the country, and he's so tired of the political correctness that was happening in the cartoon business. For example, when it comes to Superman, 
They said, when you draw up Superman and you write the story, it's not going to be truth, justice in the American way anymore. He's going to be a little bit woke, and we're not going to say the American way. It's going to turn off people. And he said, that's it. I quit. Him and his buddy quit. They formed a brand new uh, – they put a brand new series together. It's off to a ripping start. He's going to be joining us, too. It's a, a non-woke comic book, Defying Cancel Culture. I love that. It's called uh, Isom, uh, number one. It's available now for pre-order. I'll get into detail on that. And Geraldo Rivera is standing by. He is not woke either. So let's get to the big three. Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Number three. Don't let it dominate. Don't let it take over your lives. Don't let that happen. Hey, folks, guess you heard. This morning I tested positive for COVID. But I've been double vaccinated, double boosted. Symptoms are mild. President Biden tests positive for COVID. Wish him the best. Why was Trump treated so much worse? We'll talk about it. Number two. Hey, everybody. So gas prices have been declining across the country. So let's get into some graphs. This is so exciting, guys. I'm in the graph. I'm excited just hearing about it, especially with a little harp music in the background. What matters most to the economy? Your economy. Gas prices are down. And I would like to thank Vladimir Putin. After all, he was the one who was responsible for raising them, wasn't he? Number one. The city should be commended that we're not Texas. That we're New York. Our country is home of the free, land of the brave. We do not be co- become cowards and send people away that are looking, looking for help. He is so misinformed. They're blaming Arizona and Texas for the rise in illegal immigrants coming to our state and our city over the last three months. The number is about 2,800. And Mayor Eric Adams is blaming Texas and Arizona for dropping off people against their will in New York City. There's no fact, facts in those statements and those beliefs. Joining us now, a man filled with facts, Geraldo Rivera, co-host of The Five, and anything else he wants. Uh, Mayor Adams, I appreciate him recognizing illegal immigrants are something that has to be addressed that are overwhelming the social network system as well as the uh, shelter system. But he's totally wrong. Not one bus, Geraldo, from Texas or Arizona has gone to New York. Well, I don't know where they are coming from, Brian, but I I think that the whole – idea of states for uh, fighting states over who gets them, who has to care for them, uh, you know, and all the who has to absorb them into their local culture and all the rest of it is not the issue. The issue is we need order at the border. I, I, I think New York, uh, I know for a fact, and you do too, Brian, that New York, uh, with over a million undocumented uh, immigrant residents, uh, is, uh, is, some, uh, is a place that knows how to absorb a population uh, that 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 huge that vibrant that needy in many ways uh but i, I and i i also like mayor adams fighting for the city uh, it may be that he's misguided and you're correct that he's uh, he's off the mark mark in blaming arizona and texas but i like a feisty mayor who stands up for the city we needed that i think this is the right guy for this uh, troubled time, Brian. I want you to hear, I'll, 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 I won't lead the witness. I'll let you hear his words. Cut one. The city should be commended that we're not Texas, that we're New York. Our country is home of the free, land of the brave. We do not be cow- become cowards and send people away that are looking, looking for help. All of us came from somewhere, even from Texas, they came from somewhere. And so they should not have sent people away that were seeking refuge. Okay, a couple of things. We have to turn people around who don't come the right way. That that is, we are we are, shouldn't be embarrassed by having rules to entering our country. Uh, number two is 
no, all of no offense to New York City, you take immigrants and we take illegal immigrants and we are we are a sanctuary city. But we have not been overwhelmed by four million over the last two and a half years. Eight hundred thousand gotaways. And as you know, that's an imprecise number by nature of the definition of what they are. So you can't pretend that New York is in the in the eye of the storm or uh, or leading the charge. It is it's Arizona and Texas paying the biggest price. So he can't put himself in their shoes. You know, why Why uh, is this descending into this level? What this does is allow everybody to avoid the real issue. The real issue is we have to deal with the fact that there are tens of millions of refugees and other immigrants from all over the world who want to live in the United States. The United States is a is a vibrant, growing country. Unlike we can't Russia, take them all, though. Dying. No, Nobody I hear you, but we can't take you them can't, all. You, you, but but I, I think that the... the the truth is most of the single males who are coming are being sent back immediately. Uh, what you have is you have many, many families. And I, listen, I'm not – I'd go with Bill Malusian on that. He says most – he says they're all getting in now. Well, I, I, I don't know the reality. I'm not on the border now, although I've been there many times before. Uh, you know, you have uh, – what are you going to do? I don't know what you're going to do. I don't think anybody Republican. But, but you know how to stop it, Geraldo. I know how. I, I do believe that you go back to the Trump years and the wall and so forth, that he did bring more order to the border. I think Biden, in his attempt to be kind and compassionate, has caused catastrophe. He's really aggravated the situation. It's but, negligent. It's but, not but, compassion. But, but, it's but negligent. Even, it's negligent. It's no. There's no compassion uh, there. There's no I, compassion. I, I, These I kids are getting why, raped why on their way that? up. They're getting abused and trafficked. You know, today we have video from, I think it was, um, it wasn't uh, Bill Malusian, one of our reporters down on the border, of two eight-year-old kids by themselves sent up by parents from Honduras. I mean, because the parents think this is a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity to get here. Who knows what those kids have seen? Altogether, they had half a bottle of water between them. It's because he's given them the idea that if you get here, you can stay here. That's not compassion. Well, I disagree. I disagree because those parents in Honduras love their 8-year-olds as much as we love our 8-year-olds. There has to be desperation for them to do uh, something, uh, if, if that is in fact a factual and accurate account of how they've made the trek, I think that it's it's horrifying. And on the other uh, on the other hand, uh, those kids can grow up in the United States, hopefully, and become you know safe, secure, productive adults. We should take we everybody's eight year olds. What about our eight year olds? Yeah, we we do well with our eight-year-olds, and I I I think that it, there is real danger in demonizing anybody's eight-year-old. Uh, you know what happens to the love that we show? Right, but uh, we know, can't the, take everybody's children. We we are already we're trillions of dollars in debt. We're overtaxed to the hilt. We have our own economic issues. Nobody else opens up their border like we opened up our border. There's no system. The system that you they're using, the they're town. ignoring. You know the towns of Patterson, New Jersey, Passaic, New Jersey. These were post-industrial towns that became ghost towns. They died until the undocumented, mostly Mexican immigrants went into those communities. They work hard. 
They are reliable. They are in demand. The reason they make this trek is because there's no unemployment in the United States right now. Uh, there's help wanted signs everywhere. They're coming to. So there's work the visa. There's a way to do it. Work visas. Those, we can't put yeah, those eight year olds to work. Uh, now we have to bring them in into our school system, overburdened in Brentwood, Long Island. And they're going to sit there with English as a second language. Teachers who are being underpaid are now going to be overworked. 20-person classrooms are going to be 37-person classrooms. Everybody loses because they decided, this administration decided it's okay not to pay attention to our, our immigration system. I'm all for expanding work visas, but I'm not for leaving an open border. Uh, Geraldo, I unfortunately, I got to go. But good luck. Uh, have a great weekend. <laughs> Did you spur me on to beat me up? <laughs> I, I just am so frustrated. I'm unbelievably frustrated. Thanks a lot, Geraldo. Back in a moment. Uh, Lee Zeldin got attacked last night. He's going to be joining us to tell us what happened and how we might maybe have to restructure how he does his events for now on. Brian Kilmeade. Both sides, all opinions. It's Brian Kilmeade. If you're interested in it, Brian's talking about it. You're with Brian Kilmeade. I stepped up onto the stage, um, saw the attacker um, try to get into Zeldin's face and then swing, and I could see what looked like a, a, a razor knife of some sort. Uh, at the congressman, saw him block that um, swing, and then as he attempted another swing, I tackled the attacker from the back and um, slammed him to the ground where... Uh, several of us were able to restrain him, get the weapon away from him, and uh, eventually turn him over to police when they arrived. It was clear, you know, spent some time with this gentleman uh, on the ground last night, and he was not in a, a good place. Uh, very concerned. Look, I appreciate the compassion because he did serve in Iraq, but the guy attacked Lee Zeldin. You see him walk on stage. The weapon he had was a legitimate weapon, could have cut anybody right open. It's a brass knuckle, put two fingers through, two huge blades on the side. Joining me now to bring more uh, more firsthand account to this is Lee Zeldin himself. He's got the, good, the Republican nomination to be the next governor of the state of New York. And in a speech about bail reform and the, the, the whole push in New York to let everybody out of prison, he gets attacked on stage. Uh, Congressman, welcome back. How are you doing? Yeah, I'm doing well. It's good to be with you. And uh, thankfully, there were a bunch of people on site, attendees at the rally who instinctively all jumped on this guy and tackled him. Law enforcement was there within minutes. Uh, What was crazy was that because of New York's cashless bail law, the attacker was immediately released back out onto the streets Uh, this morning because today I have rallies going on all day today. Tomorrow, Sunday, I just finished my first rally security, law enforcement presence increased. That's good. Uh, But yeah, last night, that was pretty nuts. And as anyone out there, I don't care whether you're right, center, left, whatever your party is, your ideology, it doesn't matter. In this country, we settle our scores, the ballot box, not through political violence. And uh, it was just a a sad sight, obviously, from uh, my vantage point. It was a little bit hairier than uh, some of the other people that watched what happened. And uh, it could have been a lot worse. So thankfully, a lot of people stepped in and, and subdued the attacker. And uh, that, that uh, again, it, it could have been a lot worse. How do you describe the weapon he had? He he had a, a weapon that had two holes 
for uh, the, for him to put his fingers through, kind of like as you see with these brass knuckles, there were two sharp, uh, pointy edges coming out of that weapon. And he was saying, you're done. And he lunged for me towards my neck area. I quickly grabbed his wrist and held it tight. You know, when I had my first debate of the Republican primary that just finished, one of the questions they asked me was, uh, do you tell us something that the audience may not know about you? And I gave it a thought for a second. I said, well, I'm a black belt. I once won the world championships in sparring. Uh, when you know, At that moment when he was coming at me, it was just it was a simple move. I just grabbed his wrist in a particular way to hold it there. And it was only for a few moments that was necessary for a bunch of people to, uh, to tackle him. Uh, but I, you know, once I saw that weapon, I heard him saying, you're done. And he, he started lunging at me. Then I realized that, you know, this isn't somebody coming on stage to check the microphone. Congressman uh, Zeldin talking about being attacked last night, Congressman, as someone walks up to you and they get close, you could see that he was a veteran or it was pretty apparent to the other M vets there. He was a veteran. So were you thinking maybe I'll let my guard down a little? I'm in front of a friendly audience and these are veterans, and they can appreciate that you served in the military, too. Is that why one of the reasons why he was able to get so close, do you think, to you, and maybe you weren't that concerned originally? That is such a great question. And, you know, when I noticed the hat that he was wearing that showed that he was a veteran was right around the same time that I was also realizing just from the, the rest of the situation, words, action, weapon in the hand, uh, I also realized that I needed to put my guard up. So when I see a veteran, my my guard goes further down than whenever it was before I noticed it. Uh, but what was interesting in this moment was that I noticed that he was a veteran or at least wearing that, that veteran hat at the same time that I was getting the other signals that something wasn't right. Uh, so when did uh, – so how do you feel about him being out on the streets today? I have a huge problem with New York's Castles bail law. We see these stories time and again. This attacker should not have been released instantly. And I could give multiple reasons for it. And we have stories, by the way, in New York where people get released on Castles bail and go out and commit murder. There's 93-year-old Connie Torrey in Syracuse murdered by somebody released on Castles bail. There's a guy who was released on Castles bail for an arson who was then immediately rearrested for a double manslaughter. I've long been calling for a repeal of cashless bail. When Kathy Hochul was asked about this a few months ago, she said there's no data to support it. Well, you need data? Look at the press clippings. I mean, you can look what happened last night. You can attack. You could try to stab a member of Congress, which is bad enough if you're trying to stab anybody. And you can instantly be released on cashless bail. There was a story out of New York City a couple weeks ago where there was two Mexican cartel drug smugglers Busted with $1.2 million worth of crystal meth, instantly real, re-arrest, uh, re-released back out on the streets due to New York's cashless bail law. So I, I have a big problem with this law uh, where we should allow so judges does, to weigh yeah. dangerousness and flight risk. And, and so, and good news is so does the mayor, uh, who's a Democrat. Lastly, Nick Langworthy, who's the New York GOP chair, came out and says, Kathy Hochul fanned the flames of hate by directing supporters to your rally schedule. He says it's unacceptable conduct for anyone. Do you feel just uh, as angry about that as Langworthy apparently does? 
Yeah, and I'll tell you, that this this is a long time coming because of what happened with Maxine Waters a few years ago, who is the chair of the House Financial Services Committee I serve on, encouraging people to confront Trump administration officials and supporters of restaurants and elsewhere. The Steve Scalise shooting hit very close to home for me. I was serving in the House uh, with, with everybody at that time and, and with the Capitol Police officers who were attacked. So I am uh, far more sensitive to this point now. I believe that nobody uh, should – I don't care what kind of a rally you're going – whether you're going to a rally to support a Republican candidate or a Democratic candidate or a third party, nobody – should be trying to settle that score through political violence. These political yeah. events, there should be room for debate and disagreement, but not violence. Governor Zeldin, have a safe day today, a successful day today. Uh, in case people don't know, listen around the country. First Republican to have a legitimate shot at that office since George Pataki held it. Um, good luck the rest of the way. New York needs Thanks you to win. Thank you. Go get him. Congressman Lee Zeldin, back in a moment. Radio that makes you think. This is the Brian Kilmeade Show. This guy, Flash Thompson, he probably deserved what happened. But just because you can beat him up doesn't give you the right to. Remember, with great power comes great responsibility. Uh, That is from the 2002 movie Spider-Man, a famous line in Spider-Man lore. It's a part of, I think, the hottest thing in movies right now are the Marvel comics, and they come to life from Spider-Man the Batman to, to uh, Captain America on down. But there's something happened. They're going way woke. And it got to the point where a guy like Eric July, one of the most successful uh, comic writers in the country, said, I'm done with it. I'm doing my own thing. And that's exactly what has happened. Eric July joins us right now. Eric, welcome back. Hey, how you doing, brother? I appreciate you having me. Hey, no problem. I should say welcome back because I had you on TV yesterday. Uh, mm-hmm. And I'm just uh, really struck by what got you to the point where you said to yourself, I'm going to go do my own thing uh, and form the Ripperverse Comics. What brought you to the point to leave an, esta- an established uh, career to go try it on your own? Well, for me, it was like, you know, I'd obviously been in a commentary space with comics for for a while now. And, you know, I talked about and complained publicly, you know, YouTube, everything about the direction that these companies uh, were going. And I, for me, it was like, you know what, um, I got to be a part of the, the, the solution. I feel like my calling is to be a creator. Yes, the commentary, be it political or uh, in the comic book space was, you know, that's a, that's a skill set. However, when it comes to the music and all the other stuff that I've done in the creative sense, that's where my call, what I believe God put me on this earth to certainly do. So I wanted to shift away from just simply complaining about it, not to say I won't point it out if something is, is, is you know, bad or whatever, but I need to be a part of the solution. So something that I thought wasn't going to be able to happen until I, you know, was well into my 40s and had all this, you know, money stored up and all that, had a lot of success over the last few years, and it just accelerated everything. So as they kept screwing up, I was putting, I mean, the demand obviously kept growing, and it just felt like the right time to do it. So it's not something that was necessarily done, uh, you know, to spite these weirdos. It was more, this is the great time to do it. And obviously I've been reassured considering that the, the uh, campaign is at $3 million. 
So, yeah, tell me about it. Isom number one. First off, before we talk about your new thing, what brought you to this point? Because the comic book industry, like so many others, have gone woke. And, and we've noticed they've almost they're embarrassed to be American. And uh, we've seen it over and over again. Here's an example of Superman. Uh, this is the first one, 1978, Christopher Reeve. And it changes to, you'll see what it is now. Cut 30. Why are you here? There must be a reason for you to be here. Yes. Mm-hmm. I'm here to fight for truth and justice in the American way. Politics, does he still stand for truth? Justice. All that stuff. All that stuff? You started noticing people awake, breaking away from tradition and going woke. Yeah, like with, and, you know, that's obviously with Gabe El Taib, who, co- who of course is the colorist for you. Um, I saw uh, issue number one. And, you know, that's, that's what did it for him. You know, they even, you know, t- it was nothing wrong, let's say, with Superman being understood as sort of this American uh, he- hero. Not sort of. That's what he was. Nobody that was from another country had any problem, certainly, with that. But that was more kind of signifying the the changes that were were happening kind of culturally within the or subculturally within comics and that there were a lot of a lot of spiteful individuals that were starting to become creatives in this space they didn't like the place that they were at they didn't like people uh, be it various race or whatever if they had certain ideas and they were writing those comics to depict their social political views and this is why it comes off the way that it does right now and that it's so obnoxious and it's so bad that creative stuff has really gone out the window it's more about beating the audience over the head with your uh, specific politics. And that's why I was like, look, man, I don't want to do that. I just want to give people some good, some good story. Um, yeah, there are those universal truths that I want to certainly acknowledge uh, what is right, what is uh, wrong, what is good, bad, what is just, and all those sorts of concepts. But, you know, what we're trying to do here, first and foremost, is give the audience what it is that they want with a good story. And that point has been completely lost, seemingly, on the mainstream uh, industry. So tell me about ISIM number one. Well, Isom uh, is, of course, the first book through Riververse uh, Publishing. We had a, oh, man, uh, it was a task to not only just have it be this character's book, but also this is launching the entire universe here um, for us as we're telling these stories. 96-page uh, comic book, right? 96 pages. I need. I couldn't keep it like 20 pages like what a lot of the books are now with five pages of ads. I just had to do it my way in the way that it is, and 96 pages was what, what kind of came out of that. And it's about Isom. It's this character by the name of Avery Silman. He used to be a, uh, a hero of sorts, and then he kind of stopped uh, due to this event. And this story picks up where him, Avery, Avery Silman, gets a call from his sister trying to find the whereabouts of this character, of this other character, who is a family friend. And because of that, he has to go into the city that he no longer lives in. He lives outside of it uh, to kind of talk to his old friend and figure out what's going on and where the whereabouts of, of this uh, old family friend they had. So that's kind of where this story pops off. Um, and it, it, it again, it, it's not right. just about launching Isom, the character itself. This is an entire universe, so there's plenty of different characters that people are going to be uh, introduced to. And I think we had a great balance of giving people that familiarity, right. definitely if you're in the comics, but also giving them some sort of form of uniqueness and, and, and freshness about it. Eric, you know, one of the great uh, exports of America is our entertainment. So people mm-hmm. got to know what America was, not only the wars we fight, but 
what we produced, we became this idea of this land of the free, the home of the brave, the chance where there is an opportunity, the Statue of Liberty. And part of it was comic books, the industry you're in, the movies that we put out, the theme parks that we produce. And that was one of the great things about America, just free enterprise, go do it, people will come. And I, I just heartened, by the way, that you're fighting to keep that going. Where you don't want to, you know, don't you propagandize, but you kind of like that you're an American. You understand that we hit the lotto when we were born here. Yeah, like, you know, I, I value, as, as obviously as an anarcho-capitalist and libertarian, I value liberty, like, first and foremost. It's not a secret. Like, um, this is something that I proudly wear on my sleeve, and I absolutely understand and acknowledge that being in this geographical area and being born here, I have a lot more um, advantages than, let's say, if I was born elsewhere. And I'm not oblivious, certainly, to that. And you bring up a great point with America being, uh, it so, used to be, like a net export in terms of what was considered the good entertainment. We set the scene. Comics are our industry, for example. We set the scene for what the entire world would understand to be a a comic book. Well, now in comics, for those that don't know, it's not that like that anymore. The imports are the what, what's dominating the American market right now. Japanese comics, also known as mangas, they're destroying America in their not just in Japan. They're destroying them in 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 uh, in, in America, in North America. So. Instead of having the self-awareness, the creatives would say, oh, well, we're getting our tails kicked right now by the Japanese in our own industry, in our own country. They still put out this sort of nonsense. And, you know, I make this joke about uh, all the time about, okay, I'm trying to make American comics like competitive again in this uh, so that they start yet again wanting our entertainment as opposed to us having to import it. And really, it's not that the Japanese, for example, are doing anything new. They're doing the same thing they've been doing for decades. It's just that because the American comics have gotten so bad, just by sheer default, something exists that is the, uh, that is just simply not beating their audience over the head with this random yep. uh, social political nonsense, and people love it. And also, would you say comics have been race and gender sapping Characters where we could just read and not think black, white, Hispanic, um, or any type of pronoun selecting culture. Oh, for sure, man. We, we've moved in this odd direction where that's the obsession now. You know what I mean? It's not to say that you can't have a character be black. Obviously, uh, with our character, you can have you can have a character be a woman or whatever. The problem is, is that nowadays it's the hyperemphasis of it. And because they think the creatives over there think that they are everybody else is as shallow as them, they feel like, well, I have to have this black character beat everybody over the uh, the head with the fact that he is black. And then that is going to represent the black population as if we're all kind of just monolithic and have the same exact upbringing, same value system and yeah. uh, and all of that, which is just simply not the case. But again, they think everybody are is as shallow as them. You know, I say this all the time, like this idea that the only way that I could, let's say, relate to a character is if they're black is nonsensical, but it's also um, insulting. You can have a black character be embraced by white people or a white character be embraced by black people if you're not shallow that takes decent writing that takes this idea to be able to resonate with other individuals and i don't think these people not only not they don't have the experience to do that but they're just so obsessed with identity that that gets in a way of any kind of story that they could tell that's even halfway decent eric july is here founder of the riververse comics and you can go and, and now they're not out yet right how many more days till they're out 
So we are going into September. It's a pre-order campaign. So going into September, you guys will start receiving shipments. We have, ironically enough, yeah, I was expecting to make $3 million as fast. It's like still 64 days left in the campaign. However, because this wasn't a crowdfund, I just took the transparency of it. You guys are going to, like most of the product we already got here, we just have a couple of batches of prints of the actual book that we need to get, and then we start shipping those out. So going into September, even though the campaign still won't be closed, you'll be able to get your uh, you'll be able to get your items. How? Uh, we're going to mail those. You can get them over at Ripperverse.com, of okay. course. You, we have different bundles where you could save money, um, and you can go ahead and grab whatever it is that you want. I haven't reached out to a lot of uh, comic book retailers, but the safest bet of, is to, of course, go to Ripperverse.com, place mm -hmm. in your order. When you order, you get your login. You can keep up with uh, the, you know, the, the actual order itself when it ships and all nice. of that. We keep it right there for you. Lastly, I want you to hear this, and we're talking to Eric July, founder of Ripperverse Comics, why you went out and is doing his own thing. I want you to hear Brandon, uh, Brandon Ruth, I think that's how you say the name, try to explain to us why he gets rid of the American way from Superman. Cut 31. The American way is kind of changed, and, is, and, is, and is, people can take that to mean many different things. So the fact that uh, it's not in the film, I think, is, is powerful because really Superman has transcended America. And although it was founded on those basic values you know, that we created in this country, that's not as important maybe as, as just the fact that he's so... Uh, inspirational to, to everyone, and that he can be an icon to somebody halfway across the world. What's he talking about? You can't be an icon to somebody across the world if you say American way? Yeah, that's bizarre. That's such a weird uh, thing. If anything, you know, they can especially uh, have something to aspire for and aspire to be in the event that they know where that character um, is. So he's kind of being hypocritical in a sense, or rather contradicting himself. Yeah, um, he has existing, despite having that true justice in American way, transcended just America, and he's been a way of an inspiration to people that are outside of this country. So what? Why did you need to change it uh, in the first place? Seemed like that at all already happened. Uh, this is just a guy that is more so ashamed to be, um, you know, in this geographical area. We know that there's a lot of kind of movements that are unfortunately conflating government with country um, or, or with the, with those sets of more so values yeah. that you think of Americanism. And uh, these folks are trying to run away from it. And it's just simply not working. Uh, and lastly, here's I want you to uh, evaluate this X-Men clip. It's a, a X-Men Dark Phoenix clip. Uh, when they changed the name to X-Woman, Cut 32. It's funny. I can't actually remember the last time you were the one risking something. And by the way, the women are always saving the men around here. You might want to think about changing the name to X-Women. Okay. Me too. <laughs> Such a goofy. I remember seeing that, and I was like, "Oh my god!" This is basically when I was I was about out of Marvel and DC and doing everything with, with anything that they had to do with as far as buying their products. But I remember seeing that and just thinking that's so crazy. But a lot of people don't know Victoria Alonso, I believe is her name. She's somehow keeps falling upward with Marvel, and she's echoed that same sentiment uh, multiple times in different like uh, interviews and whatnot where she's saying, well, they're called the X-Men. I don't understand why they're called that because they have a bunch of uh, women that are part of their team. The, again, self-awareness does not exist with these, with these <laughs> folks. And I used to be one of those guys. I was like, man, this sucks. You know, you see these beloved characters be ran to the ground, but now I'm like, you know what? Keep it up. Keep it up. Cause all ah. you do is send eyes our way. Absolutely. It's good for the rip reverse, bad for the country. But good for Eric July, especially. Eric, congratulations on taking the risk. 
uh, showing that entrepreneurial spirit and using your creativity uh, to help restore the American way. Much love, and I appreciate you, of course, having me. All right. Uh, go out to theriververse.com and, uh, and support Eric. He took great risks for you. So at least you could do is support his, his quest here. And he didn't phone it in. This is 90-plus pages. Thanks so much, Eric. Uh, when we come, you, you. you got it. Uh, when we come back, uh, some good news with the Russia-Ukraine war. I'll share it with you. Educating, entertaining, enlightening. You're with Brian Kilmeade. Breaking news, unique opinions. Hear it all on The Brian Kilmeade Show. Meanwhile, I read that Dr. Fauci said that he plans to retire by the end of President Biden's term. And then everyone turned to Biden like, is there anything you'd like to announce, too? (laughs) Jimmy Fallon having some fun late night actually commenting on the news. It makes Joe Biden look bad. Can you believe what's changing? I'm going to discuss that and more with Howie Kurtz on One Nation tonight. Excuse me, uh, tomorrow night, Saturday at 8 o'clock, repeated at 11. That's Eastern time. I know you listen to us all different time zones, so uh, especially in St. Louis at 7. But 8 and 11, uh, we've got some great guests, including Gerard Baker, is going to lead us off and talk about the true Joe Biden. Is he underachieving or is this exactly who he is? We're also going to take a look at our school system. We're about to get back uh, back started again around the country. Well, many people are leaving the public school system. I'm going to talk to one of the kings of uh, the charter school system. That'll be coming your way, as well as an interview with Adam Carolla. Remember, I promised you some good news. Here's the good news. Uh, agreement has been signed in Istanbul, Turkey, between Russia and the Ukraine. Uh, they brokered a deal to let Ukraine out signing it. They did not sign the same piece of paper. They signed a separate piece of paper. But Ukraine is uh, one of the largest grain producers. So far, all their grain's been locked in their country. They've signed a deal to help uh, Turkey help broker the deal with Russia to unblock exports of grain from Ukraine through the Black Sea. That is huge news, not only for Ukraine, but for Africa and uh, and Brazil, because there's all types of uh, their big markets uh, for grain, even in here, and the price of grain dropped around the country. So that's great news. The other news I wanted to uh, share with you, I've been mentioned the last few days, we got four dates on the books uh, to be able to go on stage. So I will be able to go live and talk to, to meet you in person, especially uh, in my first stop is uh, new, in Newark, New Jersey. And that will be a chance where I get to meet a lot of WABC listeners and we'll have some surprises along the way. Have a chance to talk about all my books and America the way it is, our real history. And I think we're trying to take America back a thousand people at a time. So I'll be at the New Jersey Performing Arts Center uh, telling you the real story of our past and having fun on stage. Uh, that'll be August 27th. Go to BrianKillMe.com. And then the egg in Albany on September 8th. So that'll be fun. So that'll be right after. And then I got two dates in November when my paperback comes out, The President Freedom Fighter. And it's in Brandon, Mississippi at City Hall Live and in uh, Tulsa, Oklahoma uh, at Cox Convention Center. So I hope to see you all in person. It'll be fun. Have a chance to sign your books, personalized VIP opportunities that we can talk about an hour before the whole show starts. BrianKilmead.com there. Meanwhile, don't forget to watch One Nation tonight and keep it here on the Brian Kilmead Radio Show. Fox News Radio Studios in New York City, giving you opinions and facts with a positive approach. It's Brian Kilmeade. 
Thanks so much for being here, everybody. It's the Brian Kilmeade Show. Uh, thanks for being with us all week long. It's been an exciting week, uh, good and bad. You know, the president tested positive. But Lee Zeldin was attacked. Uh, those aren't great news stories, but they are news stories, and we're so glad you came here for your information. Matter of moments, Dr. Marty McCary will be joining us and telling us what's happening. And what we, you know, a lot of the protocols from, from Washington also, when someone tests positive with his COVID-19, see how they're treated. See what medicines they take. See how many days they're secluded. See how many contact traced people are also tangentially told to do just about the same thing. Fascinated to see the press secretaries yesterday tell us all it doesn't matter how the president got it. Really? For the last three years, we've been hearing it's all about how you got it. People have missed games, practices, seasons, school time because you've been contact traced. How many people have gotten an email like that where if you're a student, you got tapped on the shoulder. You know that person sitting in front of you, the empty seat? Tested positive. Why don't you go home? Chris Christie at the bottom of the hour brings us inside New Jersey politics uh, and uh, Republican politics. So, uh, And also the last time I saw Chris Christie, he was kind enough to invite me to his box to watch the Keith Hernandez re- a retire my number game, which was fantastic. So let's get to the big three. Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Number three. Don't let it dominate. Don't let it take over your lives. Don't let that happen. Hey, folks, guess you heard this morning I tested positive for COVID. But I've been double vaccinated, double boosted. Symptoms are mild. Okay, that's good news. And it is. President Biden tests positive for COVID. We wish him the best. But why was his treatment so dramatically different than Trump's? We'll compare and contrast. And what this new variant means to you. Number two. Hey, everybody. So gas prices have been declining across the country. So... Let's get into some graphs. This is so exciting, guys. I'm in the graph. It's so exciting. If I was a child, maybe six or seven years old, but we're not because children don't drive and children don't feel inflation, we don't think. What matters most? The economy, your economy. Gas comes down as administration takes a bow. Suddenly, jobless claims are up. Is a recession next? Number one. The city should be commended that we're not Texas, that we're New York. Our country is home of the free land of the brave, we do not be ca- become cowards and send people away that are looking, looking for help. Really? Four million? How about four million? Could you handle four million? How about 800,000 gotaways over the last two years? That's what Texas and Arizona are dealing with. And Mr. Mayor, you, I understand your frustration, but don't blame Texas. They're not sending anyone to New York or the D.C. How soon will more Dems realize the border isn't a GOP talking point, but it's an American breaking point? And, you know, we're blaming, making sure Novak Djokovic does not play in the U.S. Open because he's not vaccinated. But please explain to me how it's okay to accept 200 plus thousand illegals a month on average. Also, for the most part, don't carry their vaccination cards. Pretty sure. Doesn't make any sense. But as long as Djokovic is not in this country, we're all safe. Dr. Marty McCarry's here, Fox News contributor, surgeon, and professor of uh, of health policy at Johns Hopkins University. Hey, uh, welcome back, Dr. McCary. We need your expertise again. Is the president in trouble at 79 years old testing positive? Well, good to be with you, Brian. No, he's not. And the reason he's not is he's got good immunity. He doesn't really have comorbidities beyond advanced age. And he looks good. He feels good. He looks fine. He may have had this for a week. Who knows? So I think his prognosis is excellent. The White House is sort of Finally, as of his COVID case, 
learning to live with COVID and laxing, going back on a lot of the policies uh, that they've been pushing. Right. But are they really? Uh, uh, what are the policies that should be in place? Because a lot of people are now wearing masks to the White House. Uh, the president saying stay six feet apart. I didn't know six feet was still a thing. I mean, what, what, uh, we were isolated but still working. What, what is the policy? <laughs> well, they're, they're relaxing on some of the policies for themselves, but everybody else still has to abide by these draconian COVID zero policies. And a lot of this stuff is just now it's ludicrous. It's not feasible. It's ineffective. And it's futile when you have a virus that's inevitable, ubiquitous, and at large. And so, you know, he didn't have his mask on when the photographer was there. Uh, When that was under the last administration, that was a media Armageddon. Here, you know what? If the photographer has immunity, I don't, you know, that's fine to be in there. If the president's outdoors without a mask, that's fine. So they're finally accepting these policies, even though they're still supporting all these draconian things on the CDC website. And San Diego is, you know, requiring kids to wear masks. Evidently, the picture they sent out today, the White House, uh, he's wearing a mask. So there you go. Uh, so <laughs> who cares? It's yeah, so ridiculous. I know. Uh, how about th- this line? I was struck by this. I thought about you right away because a lot of times you echo my frustration, but you're the expert. Cut 13. Where exactly was the president infected? Where was he infected? I, I don't think we know. Um, I certainly don't know if you, if you have any thoughts I, on I, that. Look, I, I don't think that that matters, right? I think what matters is we prepared for this moment. Really? It doesn't matter where you got affected? Because you know, can I tell every school kid's been told to go home, every kid that had to miss a game, every uh, professional player that was told they can't play, like, for example, on the Yankees, because uh, they might have tested positive or have been contact traced? Oh, we sent uh, Olympic athletes home and they weren't allowed to compete. I mean, people have missed weddings and not been able to see their newborn babies born. I mean, it's just amazing how for the rest of the public, it's been an FBI investigation called contact tracing for the last year. And by the way, Dr. Ja, you know, who's basically saying, you know, going along with, I don't think it matters. I don't know where he got infected. This is the number one advocate of contact tracing in the United States, <laughs> even <laughs> after it served no purpose. I mean, he was talking about, you know, ordering a trillion tests a day. And, you know, what do you do, I would pose to him, when the, the contact tracer interviews you and says, where have you been? And you say, well, I took the subway through Grand Central Station. Then what do you do? It, it all goes to pot. Yes, we've been trying to say that. So here's my frustration. Uh, these we find out these variants do a good job eluding the vaccine, which was 95 percent effective against the first version of COVID-19. And the numbers down, I think, in the 40s in terms of immunity levels, uh, in terms of his effectiveness in stopping you from being infected. And now as we've had four or five variants, how effective are the vaccines and are they mislabeled vaccines? Should we call them shots? Well, they're totally ineffective, completely ineffective in preventing transmission. Now, I do believe it downgrades the severity of illness in people at risk. Is that true? I, I, I believe so. I mean, I think I think we we've just seen that clinically as a physician, as physicians on the ground in high risk people. We've seen people who would have a high risk of getting in trouble, intubated, hospitalized or dying. And we've we saw sort of a quick transition to them getting more mild covid. 
But the key is that it's not going to prevent you from getting COVID. We're giving out a vaccine that's not the right vaccine anymore. It was designed for the Wuhan strain. And so everybody's going to get Omicron. And if you had Omicron in the earlier versions earlier this year, you might be a little less likely, but everybody's going to get Omicron. So, Dr. Macari, I'm getting a little concerned, uh, especially these parents must be concerned. What's happening in San Diego, they decided a kid tested, the, the numbers are going up. So they sent in summer school, if you don't get vaccinated, you have to leave. We're not set up for Zoom. You have to leave. Are we going to go through this again? Yes, we are. I believe we're going to recycle all these arguments only, but this time we're going to be doing it with a mountain of data that shows no impact on transmission from schools masking kids. And we're going to see these arguments even more irrational, even more political. And the only places that are going to fall for it are the places where the media is feeding fear and the public health officials are stoking it. And then the public demand for the politicians to do these things is going to be high. I can tell you doctors' conferences have been going on for six months. I've attended about six major doctors' conferences with thousands of doctors each in different specialties, and no one's wearing a mask. What does that tell you? These people are higher risk than kids who are unvaccinated. So, yes, I do think the forever maskers are are looming large, and they're going to try to push this hard. Tell me about this variant we're dealing with now. Yeah, BA5. I I would think I would – present it to people as sort of a bad cold season. Everybody's going to get it. You know, when you have word in town that everyone's getting the stomach flu or something like that, Uh, RSV is another common infection. But this one's so common that basically everybody will get it. And we don't worry about people who get it. Well, who we the people who are showing up in the hospital are people with special medical conditions and are inadequately immune. They're not vaccinated or not. They don't have adequate immunity or they haven't had COVID in the past. Those are the special situations where we pay attention. But otherwise, this is a virus that's going to ebb and flow and circulate for years. And I don't like it. But, you know, if you don't like it, then you can blame the gain of function scientists that brewed it up in the lab. <laughs> that's interesting. Uh, we are agreeing on that. Well, you relieved that Anthony Fauci might not be set on retiring? He has served a term longer than President Mugabe of of uh, Zimbabwe. I mean, the guy is like an African president. He just will not leave office, and it's time for him to move into a different role, maybe advisory. And his primary role, by the way, is to decide who gets the government grants. That's his job, okay? It's not to be a public health advisor. And when I did the reporting for that piece about the exodus of people leaving the NIH and the CDC and FDA, uh, people at NIH told me, hey, why is he talking on TV about COVID? He's not a public health guy. His job is to go out the grants. True. Lastly, uh, monkeypox. Are we all doomed? Monkeypox, we missed our window to contain monkeypox. We also missed an opportunity to test early. And we failed as a country at the CDC level to study it quickly and put out data that it's primarily in people who are gay or bisexual. They were afraid to say that. It was politically incorrect. They were afraid of angering people in that community. It's sometimes a delicate conversation to put out publicly. So they were so scared and so timid just to call a spade a spade and, and objectively state what is true that it we did not have a focus in sexually transmitted uh, uh, um, sexual health clinics. Um, and we didn't have 
education to the community at highest risk, and we didn't have a targeted vaccine strategy for those who are high risk. And as a result, we've got thousands of cases, 2,100 confirmed, and probably 10,000 out there now. And it's probably going to circulate for a while. The study just came out today in the New England Journal that 98% of people with monkeypox were gay or bisexual. Uh, largest study ever done. Of course, it was done overseas because the CDC doesn't really do good studies. Lastly, an unvaxxed person from upstate New York is diagnosed with the first case of polio in nearly a decade. The patient believed to have contracted the virus overseas and suffered severe symptoms, including paralysis. Are we to be worried about this? It's our first case in so long. This guy, this unnamed individual, was hospitalized after suffering significant symptoms uh, it is not clear when or where they became infected, but officials say they likely picked it up uh, from outside the country. Uh, that's all we have on it. Some say he didn't have the polio, polio vaccine. How odd is that in this day and age? Yeah, I was, real, I was surprised about that. Gosh, I have not heard of a case in, of polio in a long time. Of course, we've heard of pockets overseas in areas where there's no good vaccination. But it made me think, you know, my first reaction was, are people more likely to avoid the routine important vaccines because of the lies the CDC has pushed out on COVID vaccines? Uh, for, for example, in vaccinating babies, there was no evidence and they pushed it through anyway, really making a mockery of the whole process of doing clinical trials. Why would you authorize a vaccine after the trial showed no benefit? Why are we even doing trials? So they are losing credibility, and I worry people are going to miss the important vaccines like COVID, like the uh, polio vaccine. All right, uh, Dr. McCary, um, I'm sorry we keep needing you. I know you have a you have multiple <laughs> jobs, but we have to make sense of this. So you think the president's going to be okay? He's getting good care. He's, this is the way you do. It. This is the way you treat it, and we could all learn from it. And just notice the difference between the way Trump was covered and the way Biden was covered. I think that stands out with you too, right? Yeah, that's right. Uh, President Biden has nothing to worry about. If I were his doctor, I would simply reassure him. All right. Go get him, Dr. McCary. Have a great weekend. You too. All right. When we come back, your calls one eight six six four zero eight seven six six nine. 408 7669 This is the Brian Kilmeade Show from Midtown Manhattan, heard around the country, around the world. Coming to you on a need-to-know basis, because, man, do you need to know. It's Brian Kilmeade. The fastest three hours in radio. You're with Brian Kilmeade. The city should be commended that we're not Texas, that we're New York. Our country is home of the free, land of the brave. We do not be cow- become cowards and send people away to look- looking for help. All of us came from somewhere, even from Texas, they came from somewhere. And so they should not have sent people away that were seeking refuge. Illegally unvaccinated, beating our system, selling drugs, trafficking children. We all came from somewhere illegally. Thanks. More from Eric Adams. By the way, so what he's trying to get at, he's blaming the governor of Texas, governor of Arizona, for doing what they said. They're so frustrated with the federal government. They're busing illegal immigrants who willingly want to go to Washington. They'll put them on air-conditioned buses and send them there, right? He's saying that we're sending them to, they're sending them to New York. And at first I thought, I, I didn't know that. Well, it turns out the reason I didn't know it, it's not true. So he's blaming Texas and Arizona. He should blame Washington. We're not that stupid. Please tell me you're not that ignorant. Cut to. This is a real burden on New Yorkers as we're trying to do the right thing. 
Uh, we already, as I stated, we already have an overburdened shelter system. So now we're talking about, as you stated, food, clothing, school. This is going to impact our uh, our schools because we do not turn away individuals because they're undocumented. Uh, translation services. There's just a whole host of things that this is going to produce, and that's why we need we need help and getting this done, and we need the right coordination to make it happen. Oh, my goodness. If you want to say you have illegal immigrants here, it's taxing every system. I get it. Thanks for being transparent about it. But if you don't blame the federal government, listen, you have no problem blaming Albany for what's going on with the cashless bail and these uh, weak DAs. Why not just show real courage and say, I'm really disappointed the president. Like him personally, his policies of letting everybody in has put 4 million people here illegally minimum, 800,000 here gotaways, and it's 200,000, 207,000 in June. And it's going to be even more than that in scorching heat in July. And now with the remain in Mexico about to evaporate, Title 42 is about to go. Sadly, it's only going to get worse. I just can't believe that other people have not uh, brought this up. And then he continues to think that. Um, the, on the economy, listen to Karine Jean-Pierre talk about gas prices. Cut six. Hey, everybody. So gas prices have been declining across the country. In the past more than 30 days, we have seen gas prices go down by more than 50 cents per gallon. So let's get into some graphs. This is so exciting, guys. I'm in the graph. Yes, I am tingling. Karine Jean-Pierre is in a graph, much like Sesame Street characters, but not the children that subscribe to Sesame Street or whatever the hot children show is today. Here's the thing. We remember why gas prices went up. It's Vladimir Putin's price hike, right? Vladimir Putin invaded Ukraine. So now that prices are going down, Joe Biden wants us to give him him credit because he's emptying our oil reserves. They're there for an absolute emergency that'll be empty in a year and a half. That is not even affecting the price. I thank Vladimir Putin for the decrease. Thanks, Vlad. The talk show that's getting you talking. You're with Brian Kilmeade. I think people on both sides are, are dug in on, on Trump's role in the Capitol riot. Um, I don't think these hearings are going to change many minds. And at this point, Brett, I think the Democrats are hoping that they will uh, detract from, you know, news of the inflation, news of the border uh, and, and, and things like that. And, and polls I've looked at show that that's not happening right now. So uh, Democrats are going to press on here. It's one of the reasons they're going to renew these things in, up in September in the middle of the campaign season, but I'm not sure it's going to do the trick. Uh, that is Jason Riley, a conservative columnist on special report last night, talking about the January 6th hearings before they actually took place. But it looks like they said so many people have come forward. We might have to do this through the fall. Does that surprise Governor Chris Christie, former governor of New Jersey, author of Republican Rescue? Uh, Governor, welcome back. Does that surprise you that you think this thing is going to drag to the fall? No, it doesn't surprise me at all. And and look, um, I've had problems from the beginning with the composition and makeup of this committee. Um, You know, the speaker should have permitted Kevin McCarthy to put the people on the committee that he wanted to. If if she had done that, I think that the the hearings would have gotten more attention than they've gotten. And, And on the issue of election impact, I don't think they're going to have any election impact in 2022. The election impact they will have is in 2024. 
but not in 2022, because uh, in the end, that's going to be about inflation, gas prices, crime, parents involvement in education. Those are the issues that the American people care about right now. But um, there's no question that um, the facts that are coming out from people who worked for uh, Donald Trump um, will clearly have an impact on 2024, but not on 2022. Roe v. Wade, do you think that'll be a 2022? Topic? I don't. Um, I don't. It'll be a topic, but I don't think it's going to be anything that's going to move any election. Um, in, in the end, the people who are single-issue abortion voters, on uh, both the pro-life side and the pro-choice side, they vote. They vote in every election. They're enthusiastic. The rest of the people where abortion is in their list of issues – it's way down on the list of issues at five, six, or seven um, when you're looking at inflation and gas prices, crime, uh, education. Uh, those are the things that the American people care about the most. And I don't think this is going to have any extraordinary impact on the midterm elections at all. To the extent it has any impact at all, it's more likely to have it on a governor's race, Brian, than it would be um, on, a, on a congressional race, given now that these decisions are going to be made. Um, in the state capitals, not in uh, in the Supreme Court in Washington, D.C. Uh, fascinating to see uh, cases matter so much and courts matter so much. Big story today, or interesting column perspective, is Republicans are too into investigations. If they want to know how to have a, a, a future, a conservative future, look at the look, look what the courts are doing. Everything they want to accomplish, the courts are achieving. The other things politically, they, they seem as though... They've been frustrated in the past of saying they want to do one thing, whether it's repeal Obamacare and not being able to do it. But with the courts, they actually achieved their goal because they were focused. They knew exactly what they wanted to get. And they begin to get it with guns, with education and, of course, Roe v. Wade. Do you buy into that? Yes, I do. And it's about leadership. Look, in in on the side of the courts, you had both Donald Trump and Mitch McConnell working together focused on getting that done. That's the most successful thing that happened during the Trump administration and the one that's going to have the most long-lasting impact um, uh, positively for, uh, for the country. Uh, and so it, it sets a template up, Brian, doesn't it, when the leader in the White House can find a way to work with the leaders in Congress cooperatively, important, permanent things can get done. Um, the only thing time that really happened um, in the Trump administration was on the courts. Um, it happened to some extent, too, on tax policy. Um, and I think that's why you saw the economic reaction that you did. Um, but that's what we have to do. We have to get back to, you know, not having just the executive do stuff, but we need to work with Congress to get things done because those are the things that are permanent and can't be overturned by a, a guy like Joe Biden when he gets into office. And so many of the executive things that were done have just been reversed. What I, what I find amazing, and the worst is yet to come, is the, the president, before he got COVID-19, was in Massachusetts, standing in, proudly standing in front of a destroyed coal plant where a lot of livelihoods, jobs, and families were, uh, were, left, with, were left unemployed, and the city has never recovered, and saying, look, that's, this is how many coal plants we used to have. We have to have a green... Uh, future, and I'm willing to take executive action soon, emergency action soon, as early as next week. What is the what is the punch list that has the president arriving in Massachusetts with inflation this high, oil and gas this high, the pain at the pump so prolific, and have him say this is the perfect time for a green agenda? What what is he thinking? What can you what do you fear he will do? Well, look, he'll try to do a number of things, Brian. That. 
imposes what the Supreme Court said he couldn't do um, and that the, the EPA could not do um, in their most recent decision that was brought by the state of West Virginia. Um, look, the fact is he's not going to be able to get much of anything done. This is all hot air in the middle of a hot summer to mollify his base, who is very angry with him because he's been a completely ineffective president. And that's all this is. This is politics, buddy. And it ain't nothing more than that. I don't think there's anything much he can do legally that won't be overturned by a court um, in relative short order, given that decision the U.S. Supreme Court issued at the end of June. And this is Joe Biden desperate to mollify that far left wing of his party. And, and so the American people should take note of this. The Democratic Party cares more about their special interest constituency groups than they care about the American people. Because the American people are suffering this summer trying to go on a vacation with their family and can't afford the gas or the food or to rent a hotel room or, or, or even to take a day trip because of all these costs. That's what he should be focused on. But instead, he's focused on this crazy left-wing agenda right. on, on, uh, on energy. We should be energy independent. And if we were, this would be a wonderful, fun summer for the American people. Uh, Governor, I want you to hear Corinne Jean-Pierre, the most overmatched press secretary in modern history, uh, <laughs> note that gas prices are dropping. So she did a little pre-production. Cut six. Hey, everybody. So gas prices have been declining across the country. In the past more than 30 days, we have seen gas prices go down by more than 50 cents per gallon. So let's get into some graphs. This is so exciting, guys. I'm in the graph. You proud to be American? Um, <laughs> 50 cents off gas? If it was, It's a Vladimir Putin price hike. Do we have to thank Vladimir Putin for the price decrease? Yeah. Well, look, you know, Joe Biden uh, is, is a guy who is a typical member of Congress. You know, he wants credit for stuff he doesn't deserve um, credit for, and he wants to shift blame for the things that he's, you know, that he gets, they should get blamed for. I mean, this is ridiculous. Um, the fact that gas prices have come down 50 cents a gallon um, is, is, is nothing compared to what they've gone up and what they continue to be. He wants to take a victory lap on $4.50 a gallon gas. Um, let him go do that. You know, we as Republicans should hope that these people continue to talk this way, Brian, because if they do, what is going to be a big win for us in November could become a historic win. Absolutely. And I, I just think there's a lot of Democrats fed up with the Democratic Party for the first time that I can remember. And they're keeping their, their powder dry, so to speak. But the Hispanic vote is must be just it's a five alarm fire for Democrats to lose this percentage of Hispanic voters at this rate so quickly. Uh, is stunning, especially considering how many Hispanics they are allowing into the country through an open, wide open border. But a little bit while ago, I was able to talk to Lee Zeldin. I'm sure you saw Governor Christie, probably one of the greatest fears for politicians. You're giving a speech, you're trying to win over people, and an attacker goes after him on the stage. This guy had one of these weapons uh, that had uh, were almost like brass knuckles with, ni- with uh, two knives at the end of it. He was able to grab his wrist before the guy plunged it into him. Here's what he told us is most disturbing, that after they arrested the guy, he is out. Listen. I have a huge problem with New York Castle's bail law. We see these stories time and again. This attacker should not have been released 
instantly. And I could give multiple reasons for it. And we have stories, by the way, in New York where people get released on Cashville's bail and go out and commit murder. There's 93-year-old Connie Torrey in Syracuse murdered by somebody released on Cashville's bail. There's a guy who was released on Cashville's bail for an arson who was then immediately rearrested for a double manslaughter. You can attack, you could try to stab a member of Congress, which is bad enough if you're trying to stab anybody. And you can instantly be released on Cashville's bail. Remember, he's a sitting member of Congress, too. Do you believe this? Yeah. No. And look, this is the failure of New York bail reform. Um, this is a failure of Governor Cuomo's that he refused to fix um, because uh, of his legislature um, demanding and him trying to survive politically. And Kathy Hochul's done nothing to make it better. She should immediately remove the DA in Manhattan. She has the power to do it. Um, Manhattan is, is a war zone right now. Um, you know, the New York City Police Department is not being backed up by their prosecutors. You add to it this revolving door bail reform that they did in New York that is foolhardy uh, and always has been. And everybody from the beginning has said who knows anything about law enforcement that this is wrong. Um, this, is, this is the kind of event that could catapult Lee Zeldin into being the governor of New York because people are seeing this every day in their neighborhoods all across the state of New York, and they're tired of it, and they're tired of the woke liberalism that's, uh, you, know, uh, you know, personified by uh, D.A. Bragg in Manhattan um, and all these other woke legislators. Do you know, Brian, the city council in New York has now made it, um, is, is now made public urination and public shooting up of drugs. That's not something that people can be arrested for anymore <laughs> in New York. So you can publicly urinate on the streets in New York, and a cop can't arrest you for it. You could be sitting on a street corner in New York and be shooting up heroin, and a cop cannot arrest you for it. That's what the city council in New York has done. This is outrageous, and we need a Republican governor who is going to back the police, change this bail reform, and, and bring some safety back to the biggest city in the country. Yeah, a uh, couple other things. Do you ever think about that when you were on stage? Sure. Sure. Remember, I used to do, you know, town hall meetings in the round um, and did 150 of them in, in, in my time as governor. Um, and, and there were times when things got very heated uh, with some of the special interest groups where they bring in these protesters that we upped the, the security of the uh, with the state police. But, you know, me, Brian, I'm a guy who wants to get in, shake hands with people, uh, put put your hands on their shoulders, listen to them um, and. You know, you always that, that was often a thought during some of the difficult times in the back of my mind. Um, and it's, it's not, you know, it's not out of the question in today's environment to think about that as a politician when you're out there. And it's and it's and scary. couple of things uh, I'm going to be inter- interviewing. I know Saturday night you always watch my show at eight and then you watch the repeat at 11. I appreciate that on Fox News. Governor Absolutely. I, no, well, I DVR at eight and then watch the DVR again over the weekend. It's oh, better on Sunday when I see it. Yeah, oh, my yeah. bad. I, I, I got it wrong. I got bad information. <laughs> uh, but, Governor, I'm interviewing Doug Mastriano. who's the Republican nominee in Pennsylvania. As you know, the Democrats poured money into his campaign to make sure he got the nomination. And now he's within two points of Shapiro. They did the same thing in Maryland. I haven't seen any uh, anything on Cox yet who got the nomination there. So what do you think about this tactic among Democrats, and what do you think about it as a Republican? It's a dangerous and cynical game. These are the people who want to talk about integrity of elections, and then they're spending money 
to try to to try to support someone they think will be easier to beat, uh, you know, it is first off horribly cynical, and it's why people hate politics. It's why regular Americans hate politics and hate politicians is because they do this kind of stuff. And the Democrats deserve to be held to account by the voters for it. But secondly, be careful what you wish for. You know, you think you're nominating someone who might be easy to beat. And as you said, uh, Doug Mastriano made what I hear was a great appearance at the Republican Governors Association meeting this week in Aspen. Um, He gained a lot of supporters out there. And, you know, Pennsylvania is going to be a place where we're going to fight hard um, for the governorship and we're going to fight hard um, to for Dr. Oz to win the Senate seat. Um, those things are important. And they they, you know, they they played in both of those races, uh, both in the Senate primary and in the gubernatorial primary. Um, now they've got the candidates they say they wanted. Mm-hmm. Um, they, they may have wished for the wrong thing. So a couple of things. Everybody knows the, uh, how you feel about the election and how the president acted on January 6th. And I feel very similarly. But it doesn't mean there weren't problems the way the governor decided to bypass the legislature in Pennsylvania and just change the election law. It doesn't mean there weren't problems in these other places about these pandemic rules where some Democrat took advantage of them. So that's one way in which Mastriano easily can pivot and get away from the denial, um, you know, the election was stolen and just say, I, I want to fix the election laws in this state to bring integrity back to uh, our institution as opposed to hope, Trump yep. was right or wrong. Yeah. And I hope that's exactly what he does, because, as I say in the book that you promote at the top, you know, the only way we win is be by being a forward looking party, not a backward looking party. And, and you saw what that did for Brian Kemp. Brian Kemp was the first governor in America to pass new election integrity laws. And what it did was it took that issue off the table in Georgia. And then they just voted on Brian Kemp's record as governor. And when they did, he won the primary by 51 points. And he's now beating Stacey Abrams by a significant amount in general election polling. Right. Um, you know, that's what we should be doing. That should be the formula. You know, there's no doubt. And let me tell you another, another thing about that, Brian. What should have been done in the summer of 2020 was when the governor started to pass in these blue states um, these, these new rules. The Trump campaign should have been in there suing right then. Not wait till after the election. Sue to make sure the rules never go into effect. Right. And I hope that whoever the presidential candidate is in 24 has learned that lesson and will litigate this stuff before the yep. election so that the election is conducted under fair rules. If he only made you chief of staff, that would have happened. That was his mistake. Governor Chris Christie, <laughs> always, always interesting, uh, always informative. Thanks so much, Governor. Brian, have a great weekend. You too. Uh, listen, when we come back, I'll finish up with your calls. Brian Kilmeade Show. He's so busy, he'll make your head spin. It's Brian Kilmeade. Hey, I'm excited about One Nation. Hope you are, too. Uh, I host the show on 8 o'clock on Fox News Channel Saturday night. You'll repeat at 11. Uh, Howie Kurtz is going to be on. Doug Mastriano, we just discussed that. I'll play that clip back from uh, Governor Christie. Uh, Janice Dean will be on talking about her new podcast to the News Duel and Ian Rowe. If you want to get inside in education and what works in America, Ian Rowe's the guy. Also got to urge you, uh, if you're in the Newark area, New York, New York, uh, Connecticut, Pennsylvania, uh, Newark, New Jersey, August 27th, New Jersey Performing Arts Center. Uh, America Great from the Start, Red, White, and Blue. A great night, patriotic night. Same thing in Albany, September 8th. Brandon, Mississippi, 
November 12th, and then Tulsa, Oklahoma, November 13th, which is kind of a long way away. So uh, we'll talk about all those things as well as uh, what is happening with Lee Zeldin. He was able to come on our show first and explain what happened with his attack last night. As you know, he's got a legitimate shot to be the next governor of New York. If Youngkin can do it with almost no political experience, you have a guy that I think is a three- or four-term congressman who's got state Senate, uh, state senator experience, who knows New York, knows Suffolk County, can win Long Island with military background, um, a member of the Jewish community, and now an attack, which he was able to handle, uh, and now he's able to talk about security. And when your attacker gets out on no-cash bail, you really understand crime and lack of punishment in New York. Thanks so much for listening to The Brian Kilmeade Show, and keep it here. The Will Cain Show is now dropping five episodes a week. Join Fox and Friends weekend host Will Cain as he tackles the latest headlines from his unique perspective, along with thought-provoking interviews with leading figures and live calls from viewers and listeners. Listen wherever you download your favorite podcasts. Listen to the show ad-free on Fox News Podcast Plus, on Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music with your Prime membership, or subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.